Welcome to the Pitch Vision Academy Cricket Show. This is a, a little oasis of cricket for you for a, a short while. And we're going to talk about the game, playing the game, coaching the game, improving your cricket, improving the cricket of others. And who are we? Well, my name's David Hinchliffe. I look after things. And helping me to help you are two very fine cricket coaches. The first is the director of cricket at Millfield School. It's Mark Garraway. Hello, Garris. How are you? OK? Very good, thank you very much. Yeah, just uh, yeah, getting good. getting back into some cricket once uh, now the you know the end of season break is uh, sort of started to close off now, and we're getting the kids coming back in and uh, doing lots of uh, lots of fun cricket stuff with beginners and young ones and slightly older ones, and uh, it's all it's all starting to kick off very quickly. So still quite a long way from the season, but it's no time like the present as. Uh, as you might say, Garris. Yeah, it was, it's good, isn't it, to give people a little bit of a break and then they sort of come back wanting to, don't they? They get that uh, sort of itchy feeling they want to be hitting a ball or bowling a ball or catching a ball and uh, it's always a nice place to be at the start of that winter period where they're keen as mustard and ready to go. Yeah, especially as I'm working with quite a few uh, new guys this year, different, you know, different teams, different sets of players so you know whenever you come across a new set of players it presents a new set of challenges and uh, that that inspires you quite a lot as well doesn't it you don't oh, it's the same old faces again you know you, you're coming up with with new things new ideas new way of doing things which is always exciting I think it's good isn't it that new the new player that comes in or the new set of players that come in they just uh, reinvigorate you as a coach don't they and uh, in, even in football somebody like Alex Ferguson was always reinvigorated by new players coming in and I, I can certainly relate to that from a cricket point of view as well. Secondly it's the head of cricket performance at Portsmouth Grammar School it's Sam Lavery hello Lavers how's it going? Yeah really well thanks beautiful day down here enjoying the sunshine and uh, got a couple of days off, so watching a bit of cricket on TV and then relaxing, really. Yeah, well, that sounds all right. Well, I uh, hope we can interrupt that relaxation for um, for some cricket chat for the next few minutes. See if we can come up with a couple of good ideas for people. Absolutely. I wanted to talk this week about the challenge of people outside of your team. Uh, in, in this particular case, I was thinking about um, all, all the different people who are in and around your team who aren't necessarily part of the team that you play in or, or the team that you coach and how you get the values of your team across to people who are sort of on the periphery. I'm talking about people like parents or coaches of other teams or um, even coaches of other teams within the same club or you know members of the committee things people who have, have some kind of a stake in your team but aren't necessarily part of the team and um, often you will get people with differing opinions on how you should do things but obviously as the coach or, or you know as a senior player or anything like that you will want the team to be in in the image that it's in so how do you how do you help people recognize what the values of a team are and particularly when it comes to when people disagree with that uh, but they've, they've still got a stake so you still need to keep them sweet but you don't necessarily want to go down the road that they want you to go down it's, it's a difficult thing to negotiate isn't it how do we how do we get through that maze well through a lot of communication really and, and i think you can never start that process too early um uh, as as soon as you can get a group of parents in and often with parents it's quite easy because they tend to come along to the first few sessions 
Um, so that's the time really to do some work outside of a session with them. So if you've got enough coaches around or you've got enough pairs of hands, I would then uh, plan the session and let the other coaches do do that session and um, and spend some time in a fairly informal fashion uh, talking to the parents about the way that we go about things and, and in particular it's that whole development process versus winning an outcome type conversation that I want to be having as soon as possible so with parents I find that if I can have that early and then just keep drip feeding that in over the course of time then I notice that their language changes their expectations shift um, and they become more aligned with what the kids and, and our, ourselves are working with over time but get early communication in there and then just drip feed would be my my approach um, other coaches coming in I think can be uh, a bit of a, a longer process and probably a more formalized process so again you know I, I have coaches coming into my environment um, on a regular basis uh, and really I, I set my stall out again very early to make sure maybe even before they arrive with them that they know exactly where I'm coming from where the school is coming from because obviously myself and school are fairly aligned with our processes around development and then get that information in and again get them to ask as many questions as they possibly can um, even if those questions can be uh, counter questions to what we're to the approach that we're going for um, the more you discuss that the better i think the difficult one is committee isn't it and and we see this all of the time within professional sport as well as in club club sport because people come from different backgrounds they have different motivations and and that's the real real tricky one and, and ultimately uh, what i tended to do when i was working with committees was to gravitate initially towards the ones who um, were on board or could be quite easily persuaded towards a, a more long-term approach rather than a short-term approach um, and, and then over the course of time get them and myself to sort of convert the others a little bit as well and, and give those the, the information but ultimately it comes down to communication and, and you're going to get a few knockbacks you're going to get a few awkward questions you've got to accept that take that on the chin uh, and as long as you're really sure about the way you're going about it you've got some good evidence got some good support um, about the way you're going about it just keep dripping it in and eventually you get somewhere near uh, uh, that sort of optimal optimal position I've never got there yet but you get somewhere towards it uh, Labour, from the point of view of if you've got uh, different teams, you know, within the same, for example, in a school, a situation like you're in where you've got different age groups and you've got different people coaching at different age groups and you want to keep that, you know, the same feeling throughout the, throughout the different age groups. Is that, but maybe you have different coaches with different ideas and obviously that's a good thing, but how do you sort of keep, keep things... Let the have have the coaches do the things that they want to do, but also still working towards the same values. I think a big a big part of that is having those values being agreed across the board at some stage earlier in the process. So um, Gareth has said there that obviously he wants to get that message across to parents early on, so that when they do come in, he gets an opportunity to explain the process and how they want to work. Very similar with your coaches before you get into your into your actual process of of coaching and working with the, the boys and girls and playing uh, playing matches as well you need to have an agreed set of values as to how you want to approach a session and how you want to approach a season or a, or a match so um, 
having their involvement and having their input and it's, it's important that it's something that everyone can buy into because if you start preaching at people and saying this is how you want to do it you're going to take their individuality and their skills and their opinions away from them which you don't want to do because ultimately you, you've got a group of you there because hopefully more more minds you have the more you can produce from them so yeah just try and make sure that everyone's involved in that process early on it probably is that Gareth's used the kind of um, word there of formal informal and it probably is a slightly more formal process when you when you're going to talk to your coaches and it's probably something that you want to have written down and you want to have um, a few um, a few of the kind of ideas or the, the ethos of what you're trying to achieve you want to have that really established in, and in paper but maybe it's something you do revisit as well fairly regularly I'm in, in this school environment I'm, I'm pretty lucky and, and Gareth is probably the same that he's probably involved in a lot of sessions and probably sees a lot of the kids throughout the time not not all the time there'll be times when they're away at matches and there'll be sessions going on that you can't be involved in but you do get reasonably good contact with with most of the children um so you are able to have that communication you are able to see coaches on a regular basis and just make sure that they're um sort of staying or still still committed to the same values that we, we set out earlier on and, and hopefully that do, does happen and just because you've set something out doesn't mean it's going to be there forever. So there will be times when you feel that you need to change a little bit or you do, you add something in or you, you develop something you've got or something you've talked about. But um, ongoing contact and ongoing communication is, is going to make that a lot easier. Um, and hopefully hopefully that kind of op- open forum, whether it's from parents to, to, to you as a coach or from other coaches to you as a coach and that feeling that they can talk up, they can give their opinion, will uh, we'll put you in a place where everyone's able to talk and everyone's able to understand what they should be trying to achieve. And I guess one of the one of the key things there is that th- there's a difference between someone being negative and saying that will never work and uh, you know the, the my way or the highway or people who are open to discussion and talking about things and trying to work through things and trying to you know make the best situation from what you've got. And you might disagree with each other over the exact details of that, but if you're all working towards something positive, then you, in the end, you're going to sort that out. Whereas if you've got people who are putting up resistance being negative, what they would say is being realistic, of course, because that's the, always the argument of the negative person is they're saying they're being realistic. But really, I think what it's down to is if you close off, if you close off to it, then you suddenly have a problem because there's no room to grow anymore there's no room to to compromise there's no room to work things out but if you stay open but are ready to discuss things then that's going to get you a lot further yeah no i agree with that mate you know you got to take you got to take people with you and and that's why a regular consistent drip feed of stuff is is really good because often if you hit people with all of the information once then they're gonna a get scared of it because it's a lot to take in at any any uh, you know given given point and secondly if they then don't hear those same messages being delivered in a drip feed fashion over a long period of time then they're gonna think well that was just put up as being something impressive at the, at the start of the season or the start of a winter program as you're in now um, and it's just noise white noise so I think little and often 
is really a great approach. It's not too dissimilar to um, to coaching, really, and, and doing some technical intervention. You know, rather than just dumping stuff on people, go little and often, let them come back to you with their feedback, react off of that feedback. But ultimately, a lot of these things are so simple. Some of the processes that you put in place around kids and, and cricketers and committee members they're, they're such simple principles that there isn't a huge amount of argument uh, around it if you're putting something together which is getting a huge amount of argument back because of its complexity then you've probably bitten off more than you can chew so i would go very small little chunks little and often um, as regularly as you can without being too overbearing and uh, you'll start to to shift perceptions shift attitudes and, and shift uh, expectations which is so important yeah, rel- relentlessly uh, driving towards what you want is uh, always a good thing. A little bit at a time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it it is, you know, and, and and that word relentless can sound a little bit overbearing at time. But if if your chunks are small and you're just consistently dropping those in, then it's amazing how uh, how you then notice that language starts to change and and performance starts to change as a result. Let's answer some questions that have been sent into the show by. Uh, listeners or perhaps uh, readers to the Pitch Vision website over at pitchvision.com and uh, we do this every week but just to remind you what we do we answer those questions and then we pick the best question of the week which wins a prize an online coaching course from Pitch Vision Academy at pitchvision.com we'll tell you about how to get in touch with the show towards the end although you can email us on coach at pitchvision.com if you're desperate to get your question off right now and one person who has sent in a question this week is Sharath. And Sharath says, Hello, I'm from India. I find it difficult to play in the slog overs. We normally score 55 to 75 runs in the last 10. How do we improve this? Um, great question. Uh People do find it difficult to take play in the slog overs, and I think one of the challenges probably that you've got is that the the language, and we just talked about language in the previous question, but um, the language around it is slog, um, and uh, as a result of that, that can take on so many different things to so many different people because you know as we've seen nowadays whilst we're obviously looking to accelerate towards the back end of the uh, the innings the way that people are getting significant scores in those last 10 probably isn't what we would have called a slog years ago if somebody had said to you that you can score 140 runs in the last 10 overs uh, way back when I was starting to play then it, you'd associate that with slogging wouldn't you <laughs> because it would have been the only way to to go about it but actually the way that people go about their business nowadays isn't um, slogging it's actually far more precise it's almost surgical in the way that they take down the bowl or exploit spaces on the field um, and, and the format and the, and the regulations that are placed around that period of time in the game so so I think one simple thing Thing will be to change your change your your term for it really, and you can call it whatever you want. But I, I think you know when you look at the best practitioners, if you won't look at the best people, um, then it's more surgical than brutal, I suppose. Uh, and slog, slogging can be uh, deemed as a bit brutal. So that's my first slant on it. My second one is it's great to have you know uh, you you've given us a 55 to 75 run um, sort of spread that you you hit. I'd be interested to see which bits of that spread because that's quite a large. 
um, number of runs. That's 20, 20 runs spread. Um, which which is the most common? You know, where where do you feature within that? Is it the bottom end, or is it the top end? And um, and if it's nearer the top end, then obviously you haven't got too far to go before you get into the realms of doing some pretty pretty sparky stuff so therefore we only have to change things by you know 10 percent as opposed to maybe a, a 20 or 30 percent rise to become really competitive uh, and win games of cricket so that would be my next point of call is firstly language secondly well actually where are we because that's quite a big spread are we towards the bottom end towards 55 or are we towards 75 and if we're somewhere in the middle then so be it but at least we know where our starting point is and then really have a look at what pet players you've got around and what their strengths are and and I think when the ball goes into those areas towards the end of the innings, the best players are the ones that have almost the least amount of options available to them because they're very confident in the options that they, they can then play. So, you know, you look at A.B. de Villiers. A.B. de Villiers will basically, when people are going towards the death, he will look to get outside off stump and flip the ball over backward square leg to fine leg or into that area whether it be for four or often in his case uh, for six particularly when the guy who's uh, at fine leg is up so it gives him a bigger margin of error error because he can get that slightly wrong but still get the direction right and obviously you know the top edge isn't going to be caught because there's nobody back on the fence at fine leg so um, that's one of his areas and the other area is to hit straight down the ground or over extra cover you know so he really keeps it as simple as that and then if the ball goes outside of those two areas then he backs his ability to be able to play a cut or whatever the case may be but those are his two main areas that he's going for not dissimilar to somebody like Joss Butler who does a very similar thing you know he's looking fine leg he's looking straight so I see a lot of players in club cricket in particular that as they're setting up to face the ball in those last death overs from the sidelines you haven't got a clue where they're going to be trying to hit it what their aim is what their base plan is what their foundation that they can work off of is uh, and they could you know they're, they're reacting to the ball rather than than um, being proactive so you know find out in each of your players maybe from three downwards because any of those guys well even one I suppose downwards they can all be in going towards the death overs just find out what they believe their best two areas are get them to become really good at that and then obviously being good at that you can then build off of and be reactive if the ball goes into other areas and just get bat on it or try and steer it into another one but two areas for me at the end if you can nail two and be really good at it then you're then you're going to put the bowler under a lot of pressure that word confidence is an important one isn't it labors in that you know, you can have um, so many different variables at that stage of the game. You know, the number of wickets can be um, can be so variable. You know, the type of pitch can be so variable. Whether you're setting a target or chasing a target can be so variable. So there's a lot of things you need to take into account before saying, okay, well, you know, we need to score 100 off the last 10, otherwise we failed. So it's it's very important to to bear that in mind. But I feel like if you've got confidence, that word confidence then you can go in thinking to yourself, we're going to make the most of whatever we've got to do here. You know, that rather than thinking about a specific number of runs and, and then adjusting for the variables, you, you're going in with the mind of, look, we know what we need to do. We know how we're going to do it. We just need to go and execute those skills. And sometimes the, the nature of death batting is that sometimes it doesn't quite work in the way that you want it to work. You know, you've got to take those extra risks, haven't you? So you must have that confidence and you must have practiced and you must have tried to uh, get the most from those overs by uh, getting into the nets and, and doing the work, right? 
yeah, if, if you've got a bit of belief in the skills that you can put out there at that time of the game, then I think it's going to affect you in a few ways. You probably find your execution is going to be a bit better. Um, so one of the things that you'll see when people aren't, um, aren't confident and maybe they're a little bit nervous about what they're doing is their execution can change and people can be a little bit tighter in the way they swing a bat. People will be slightly different technically in how they go about striking a ball. But the other thing that will be affected is your decisions. And if you've still got that belief that you don't need to change away from your game plan, you don't need to move away from it because you trust yourself, then you're probably going to make smarter decisions rather than panicking a little bit earlier. And then you move away from that, those those options you've got. For if Gareth said there, if you can have two really clear shots, well, if you if you don't have that belief in those two shots, or you don't have your belief in your ability to, to score the runs, then you're going to move away from your game plan. You're going to go searching something else that's going to hopefully get you get you over the line. But in reality, you're better off sticking to the things that are tried and tested, the things that are practiced, the things that you know you can do. Um, and if you have that extra belief, then then you'll stick to them and hopefully you'll spend more time executing shots that you've that you've put a lot of time into practicing rather than trying to take on the reverse ramps and the 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 clever shots over over extra cover if you haven't practiced them or whatever it might be. So um, having that confidence is, is certainly an enormous part of the run chase. And, and I guess that comes from that, that training time, creating that situation in training, talking about it with the bowlers and the coach and trying to get the bowlers to bowl the type of thing they might do in that, that scenario and, and um, seeing if you can execute the skills you want. And, and in between times, can you turn the strike over so if you can't get one of your two big zones can you get down the other end rotate the strike so it's not dot dot four it's it's one one four and that changes the dynamic of a, of a game very quickly as well um, and once you've done it in training yeah, and, and you manage to take it on the field people get that they get the bug don't they they, they finish your game really well they're really they're clinical and we've, we can see people around the world we can look at Virat Kohli as, as an example but someone who has has convinced everyone that he's incredible at chasing down a score because he has been very, very good. But it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, doesn't it? You believe you can do it. They believe you can do it. Shock horror. You go out there and do it. So um, that's another part of, the, of that whole confidence thing that's going to that's gonna get you over the line. If you look at players like um, MS Dhoni, he's a fantastic modern-day finisher of a game. You know, he's got... Two or two areas really that he's fantastic at. You know, he doesn't create huge amounts of angles and and stuff like that. He actually hits two two or three areas unbelievably well. And of course, the bowler and the captain know that he's going to do that. And that puts a huge amount of pressure on the the people that are, are letting go of the ball, the people that are putting the strategies together, because they become masterful at doing two or three things. Last week I was with Paul Collingwood and again 10 years ago, you know, was one of the best one-day players in the world, but Collie had quite what people perceived as being a limited game. But actually what he did was just make sure that everybody knew how good he was at basically whacking it from mid-off to backward square leg and, and fine leg. You know, there was no secret to it. But equally, as a bowler is running up to bowl, knowing full well, but if he misses his area, then he's going to get punished. That's a lot of pressure for a bowler and a lot of pressure for the person that's marshalling his troops. Next question is from Yuvraz. And Yuvraz says... Can you please suggest what is the best diet for a fast bowler? And we've had these 
kind of questions before, but it's probably worth going over it again, although we're not nutritionists, of course, but we can certainly uh, offer some basic ideas, can't we? Yeah, I mean, I know a lot about what you shouldn't be eating most of the year. I was going to say, um, Gareth, what's, what's the worst? What's the worst diet you've seen from a fast bowler first? I have to. I, well, from a, a oh, worst yeah, good point. fast yeah. bowling, that's a great question. Who would have been a great example of somebody? Well, it'd be easy to look at somebody like Goffey, wouldn't it, and and say that he'd have had a bad diet. Now, I should imagine that Goffey's diet's probably not as good now as it was when he played, because a lot of the time the the, the guys almost have their diet. Um, constrained because you're, you know, the nature of cricket is that you're on the road, you're playing quite a lot, you're, you're um, uh, at grounds, and and often the, you know, you've only got a limited amount of options available to you when you're at cricket grounds, and in particular when we used to go away to subcontinent because people were so scared initially of of uh, food hygiene we'd actually have quite simple food so if i look back on that on that food we had a lot of boiled vegetables we had a lot of um chicken available grilled chicken uh, was uh, available to us a lot of tuna steaks grilled tuna steaks were available so obviously that's the the protein element of it and then we'd have mashed potato we'd have baked beans which would have carbohydrate and um protein in there um and and it was pretty simple stuff to be honest with you uh, around game time and then one of the things and one of the best guys that i work with is a guy called darren vaness who has just finished at somerset actually after being there, i think 21 um uh, years he, he was there who looked after the sports science element and looked after uh, the, the diet element and somerset and you know become renowned as being one of the fittest teams and and most switched on teams in terms of sports science around the circuit and one of the things that he did really well was make sure that when you were coming back from away away games inevitably you're going to stop at a service station on the way back or, or whatever but he would have food available as the guys got on the bus which was high quality food you know lots of chicken lots of protein lots of um, uh, vegetables and then if they wanted to go and top up their food back in you know and, and go and get a kfc or whatever at least they're putting that on top of some fantastic nutrition going in so i don't think it's particularly difficult to to sort to sort out the key one for me is protein because from a fast bowling point of view you're going to be doing a lot of work you're running a lot of distance you've got lots of forces going through your body uh, and and so as long as you're getting decent amounts of calcium on board decent amounts of pro, uh, protein which helps us to recover um uh, relatively quickly those muscles to recover quickly and build again uh, i think you can't go far wrong but the more simple you can keep it the better um, uh, from a fast bowler, that is for sure. But uh, uh, as you said earlier, mate, I'm certainly no expert. And it would be safe to say, in half term this week, I haven't been an expert in diet. <laughs> I'd, um, I'd, add prote- I'd add to protein, I'd add vegetables, specifically vegetables and not mm. fruit, because, um, you know, it, it's, it's a tough job bowling fast, and, and vegetables contain so many nutrients and, and are anti inflammatory, and they help you recover as well as protein does so you know there's definitely vegetables probably the most hated food uh, <laughs> of all foods yet also you know up there with protein is the most important so i, I definitely add to that i think um the question about vegetables though is is how do you get them into your system and i yeah. think you know the subcontinent do it brilliantly because they add flavor don't they and one of the best things that um 
uh, you can do is have curried vegetables because not only are you getting all of that vegetable element of it that you've just talked about, you're also getting the benefit of spices as well going in and, and some of the you know medicinal and, and recovery elements to the likes of turmeric and uh, paprika and various other things like that and cumin are fantastic so um, a really good way and it's way I get it, vegetables into my son who's eight it's a very similar thing is to is to make them into a into a curry and then all of a sudden you're getting all sorts of benefits so yeah that they do that very well out there a long time ago, I heard a piece, a real simple piece of advice when it comes to food, which is quite hard to follow, actually. But it's very simple if you want to sort of have a guideline, which is uh, only eat food that either you have made from yourself from scratch or someone else has made from scratch. Because it's very difficult to be unhealthy if the food is being made rather than bought from a packet. So, you know, if you've made it or someone else has made it for you, then get it down your neck. Otherwise, you know, think twice. It's a great bit of advice. That is a great bit of advice. Although my treacle tart I did the other day, which was (laughs) exceptional, I'm not sure um, would would meet your criteria, but I did make it myself. But the the point of that is because it's so much trouble to make that treacle tart, you're not going to make it as often as if you you just went and bought the one that was in in Iceland. So... (laughs) So you're going to eat it less in the long run. So even that, even that point is a good one. I, th- I think the the main thing we we always try and pr- sort of talk about is just eating whole foods where you can, and it and it is quite a simple process. But you can you can obviously really fine tune your your percentages of having sixty seventy percent carbs on the way into to performance, and then dropping that and having a bit more protein on the way out with your your vitamins and minerals as well. But the first port of call is eat good food, eat foods that are um, naturally sourced rather than things, as you said, that have been pre-manufactured somewhere else. So if you can eat whole foods as a starting point, that's great. Um, I guess the only thing we haven't touched on a a lot is that kind of in-match diet and what you're going to do throughout performances, throughout a day when you've got long spells, long days, uh, possibly two, three, four days backing up one after the other. Um, and trying to get food on at that stage, which is is a little bit trickier when you're trying to make sure you get those that 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 good food in during your breaks and and you try and keep yourself going during your during your um, during each spell and each phase of play during the day and I, and I and I guess that does mean at time you're going to have things that are a bit manufactured, but we would regard something like a powerade. We'd actually put that in the supplement category really because. We want to make sure that everything that we eat and drink is, is as natural as it, as it can be. And, and beyond that, you're supplementing because you don't have access to. And, and, and that's the idea is people think they jump on a supplement and they'll put a load of different shakes in at different times of the day and that kind of thing. If you can put real food and real, real drinks into your body, first of all, then go for that because that's, that's going to be the best way to live. Um, when you can't, that's when these fantastic supplements come into play, whether it's for protein or for it's for carb replacement or it's for energy or whatever it might be. Um, but yeah, eat, eat real stuff. Yeah, there's always going to be exceptions where you can fit supplements and things in, but those are, those are rare. I mean, you know, people who, although probably there aren't too many fast bowlers who, uh, uh, you know, stock up the, the plate at tea, with cakes and crisps and sandwiches and then go out and open the bowling. There's probably not too many of them. They're probably a little, more, a little bit more conservative at tea if you know you're going to open the bowling. But if you've got guys who, you know, genuinely, you know, they can't even stomach anything if they're going to, bo- if they're going to immediately go out and bowl, then, yeah, something liquid 
it's probably going to be better anyway. So, you know, there are exceptions definitely, but yeah, in the main, you know, eat something that your grandmother or or maybe for some of the younger people, your great grandmother would have recognized as food most of the time and you won't (laughs) go far wrong. Yeah. And if you're a fast bowler, eat plenty of it. (laughs) Yeah. Get plenty on board. You're going to do a lot of work. You're going to do a lot of damage to your body along the way. So make sure at least there's some energy in there. Yeah, start start the repair process as quick as you can. Absolutely. And I think the other thing to balance with that is also sleep, isn't it? And and getting mm. and getting water into it really. Make sure you're hydrated. And Nigel Stockhilly was with England for nine years, overseeing their sports science. My best man and uh, top bloke. He would always talk to the bowlers every night, and he'd say, "I know you're going to kill me for saying this, but." Make sure you eat well, make sure you drink lo- loads of fluids, and that is water rather than anything else, lads. And then um, make sure you get some sleep. And if you do those things really well, then uh, you're going to come back firing the next day more often than not. And when you're looking at their workloads in comparison with maybe a club bowler's workloads, it's so important to get that right. But even a club bowler, if we get that right over the course of a week, particularly around our training as well, then it's going to give us a great chance of, of staying injury-free for, for longer and, and be able to put some stuff on the park every Saturday. I, th- I think that touches on sort of interesting. I've, I've, I've seen in the past as well, as long as you say don't drink and if, try not to drink anything else, drink your water and get your fluids on that way. Inevitably, people are going to have a beer along the way, aren't they? And, and through the time I've, I've spent away from school cricket, where it's not so not, not an issue really, um, but in, in senior cricket, even if you just, rather than kind of pushing people away from going and having the alcoholic drink, but still by ensuring they get a good amount of water in, it's just it's going to slow down their their consumption of everything else anyway. Um, a bit like David said about the treacle tart kind of thing. If, you, if you're making it yourself rather than buying it from a shop, you're gonna have it less often. If you're drinking plenty of fluid, first of all, that's water, you're less likely to be guzzling down your first, first beer in, in uh, 17 seconds or whatever people can do. And you're probably gonna sit on that first one for a good 45 minutes because you've already got all your water on board and you're already rehydrated. So you don't necessarily feel that quenching thirst to go and have, have your first beer or drink as fast as you, as, as you might do. And that is just about all we've got time for on the show this week. Before we go, we are going to do one more thing, which is to decide on the winner of the competition. The online coaching course from Pitch Vision Academy at pitchvision.com is up for grabs. And the two questions were Sharath's question about scoring in the death overs or the slog overs, as he called them. And you've raised his question about a diet for fast bowlers. Which one did you prefer this week, Garris? I'd go with the uh, the slog overs, and I'm doing a little inverted commas around that uh, as I say it. Um, yeah, so getting some real clarity about uh, a your definition of that, and also uh, how you go about that individually, uh, will really help to push those numbers way beyond seventy five. Congratulations, and Gareth, if someone else was listening to the show which I'm sure they are, and they wanted to send their question in, which I'm sure they do, then how can they get in touch with us? They can give us a call on 0203 239 7543 or drop us an email on coach at pitchvision.com. That's right. You can also get us through social media. The best way is to contact us through the pitchvision.com social media system. If you head over there, you can message us using the built-in messaging system. We're 
Pitch Vision Academy there. You can also find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Pitch Vision Academy and Twitter at Pitch Vision Acad. You can subscribe to the show. Uh, it comes out every week and that's pretty easy to do. You just do a search for Pitch Vision Academy in your favorite podcast app and you'll find us in there. Or if you want to do it via the Pitch Vision website over at pitchvision.com, then you can do that too. You can stream the show, you can download the show, you can get all the show notes for old shows, and also you can get all the articles and other videos and things that's going on over there. Head over to pitchvision.com slash academy and click on the podcast link for all the details. That's all for this week. We hope you listen next week, but until then, have a good week. Cheers, Garris. Cheers, Lavers. Cheers, boys.